Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield. And this week, we are chatting with the founders of Lalo, Greg Davidson and Michael Weeder. We are first introduced to Lalo when they launched their high chair. I think it was like actually around the same time as when Ezra like needed a high chair a few years back. Then we connected with them to invest in their company after becoming completely obsessed with all of their products. Greg also happens to be an advisor and an investor in our fund, Great Shit. And in this interview, we chat about the evolution of Lalo, why they started it in the first place. What's interesting about their story is that they actually didn't have kids when they were first creating Lalo, which I always find so fascinating. Fast forward, though, a few years, and they're both dads of two living in New York City. I love getting to bring them on the podcast to share more about their story, what Lalo is all about, the struggles and successes of starting a brand and what is to come for Lalo in the future because they have so many amazing products that I cannot wait for you guys to hear more about. When you're listening, let us know what you think of the episode. Tag us in your Instagram stories if you want to let us know when you're listening. And of course, if you have a hot minute to rate and review the podcast, that would always be amazing. Can't wait to hear what you think and enjoy this episode. To start off, I'd love if you both could introduce yourselves and tell the listeners you know, break it down, your relationship, who you are and where you're from and stuff. So I'm Michael Weeder. I'm the co-founder and CMO of Lalo. I live in Brooklyn with my family. I have a two and a half year old daughter, Gemma, and a two month old son, Zeke. Um, yeah. How has life been with two? Life with two is um, crazy. It's certainly crazy. It has its moments, but it's also amazing. I mean, to see my daughter be... An older sister is pretty cool. She really, really loves that role. And, uh, but this past week has been nuts because she's homesick. So managing too is tough. It's really, really tough. Yeah, it is. It definitely, I think, I don't know if you agree, but I think the transition from zero to one though is still harder than one to two because that's when you like lost any form of being selfish and now you're just almost adding like somebody else to like yeah. the list of people to be concerned about. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't think everybody agrees. I don't know if Greg would agree, um, but really, but I agree. I, I, I think we feel way more confident in our, in our decision-making as parents and we kind of feel like we've done it before. And so like the, how do we handle the a baby or a newborn doesn't feel, we feel very confident and sure of ourselves. Whereas maybe that transition is zero to one, you're questioning yourself a lot more. It's everything else that's hard. Uh, I'm Greg Davidson, the CEO and co-founder of Lalo. Uh, Dad to Jace, who's two and a half, and uh, Sadie, who's just about five months old. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited to be here. And what do you do at Lalo? Break Uh, it down. What is your working relationship? are my work husband. Um, but we, so I'm the, I'm the CEO and co-founder. Michael's obviously president CMO. And we really do, I think, a fantastic job of dividing and conquering. Um, really across the organization from everything from how we separate it, who controls what, who gets the final decision. Um, and that's what kind of makes it all work. Yeah. I mean, we're extremely collaborative in everything we do. I think that you know, if we break it down a little bit further, um, you know, most of the things marketing wise that you see out there, how we, you know, the creative we put out, things like that all falls on my side. And then Greg is all the, um, all the sexier stuff, like how our containers get on freight boats and things like that. Um, as well as running our CX team, which is amazing. And, you know, the service we, we, we put out there and differentiate ourselves on is all, is all run on Greg's side of the York. Um, and we come together a lot on the product side and the vision for new products we bring to market and the strategy around that um, is, a, is a huge collaborative effort. I'd love to hear a little bit more about like the vision of Lalo from the beginning and how this came about. Because something that I find fascinating about the two of you is that you weren't parents when you started Lalo. So why in the world did you start making a high chair and stroller was your first product launch, right? Yes, it was. How did this all come to fruition from two guys living in, you know, the city or Brooklyn without kids? Yeah. So 
we can kind of rewind back to what's now five over five years ago. Um, so this was the summer of 2017 and, you know, actually I was not even married yet. Uh, I was engaged and Michael, I think had just gotten married a couple months prior a year ago. And yeah, yeah, no, not, not, not even Michael. I think it was like six months and we, right. Like around that time I was registering for my wedding and right. You know, I'm registering for pots and pans and knives and picture frames and you know for the most part all things i've used before right like i've cooked an omelet so i typically you know would know like when i when i go and get my own pan and when someone's going to buy something for me this is the type of quality i would want you know you have some general understanding and right around that same time you know i had a couple friends having their first kids and you realize the experience they go through is they don't know what they need when they're registering, why they need it, what the products do, when they should be getting in, ultimately, uh, how much they should be spending in the category. And so I think like, you know, like a general lightning bolt went off that there's something really incredible in this category um, where, you know, parents are sitting there, they're feeling incredibly vulnerable and scared and overwhelmed. And and essentially, like the brands that were in the market were just prying, preying upon that vulnerability and creating a ton of fragmentation, too much choice, and a lot of confusion. And so, just thinking about this, coincidentally, had dinner with Michael, who we used to work together. And Michael, being always my brand and marketing go to, was like, Hey, I've been thinking about this space. What do you think? Like, here are some weird things I've been thinking about. And, uh, and yeah, and then we kind of started funny, diving on it. The funny part about that, there's two funny things. Number one, that dinner happened at Who Kitchen, which yeah, like R.I.P. R.I.P. And then yeah, it was so good. Yeah, and then number two is that's actually not how Greg asked the question. He, <laughs> asked, he said, "Are you thinking about having kids?" <laughs> Just bluntly. <laughs> and uh, so at the time, my wife and I were trying; had just started trying. Um, and, you know, ultimately it was the beginning of our infertility journey. So the hope was, you know, we started this conversation five years ago. The business only launched three and a half years ago. So there was still a year and a half to go in the formulation of what Lala was going to become, getting the products designed and made. And um, so the seed, this seedling was five years ago, but it, it you know, it took time um, to come to fruition. And through the, the thought was that I would at least be a parent before the company launched. That didn't come true. Um but we got to work and we surveyed parents and we kind of, we were able to look at it super objectively because we weren't parents, which was really cool. We were able to take everybody's opinions and try to distill it down into like, who are the, who are the, like, what do crazy anxious parents think? What is like a middle of the road parent think? And what is a really like laissez-faire parent think? And kind of look at it and put it into, try to get it into some sort of universal truth in, in what parents were wanting. Um, and from brands and, and, for, and yeah. from products, like I Brand think that's product. like a really, really important element. Yeah. And so when we set out, we, the, the white space kind of that we were going after was this connection with the parents. How can we market through love and connection instead of fear and anxiety? Um, how can we have a breath of products that is there through multiple milestones and memories and harnesses all this excitement the parents go through, um, but also understands the trouble and the anxiety and the stress of parenting too, and and creates a, a brand that is is here for generations. So that's what we set out to do, and then you know, launched our stroller first, also RIP, um, you know, great product. But what what became clear as soon as we launched the high chair, and ever since, is that we've we've really, you know, have aspirations to take over the family home and make that home beautiful, but be there for all the special specialness that happens in a family home. So how shortly after the stroller, did you launch the high chair? It was, it was four months. Um, and it was very ta- tactically of why we launched then, right. This idea of milestone driven development, um, and obviously harnessing the love that even our earliest customers had towards the brand. We said that first customer was probably buying the stroller for, for a potentially a newborn, right? Right. When they get home from the hospital, um, what's like the next milestone, which is they're starting to sit up. They're starting to come alive a little bit more. Uh, and they're probably going to start eating solids at some point. And so very purposefully we launched the high chair four months later as a little bit of a test of, 
of the art thesis that people would want to continue buying from us when traditionally in this category, you were buying one thing from one brand because that's what they did incredibly well. And then you'd move on to another brand. Um, and it proved to be super effective. I mean, our like first, like, I think we sold out within like a week or so, of, like the first run of product, which was incredible. And then we were kind of off to the races from there. So what really makes, and I know this just from being a consumer and you know, a groupie, but what makes the Lalo Heicher specifically? Because that is, I would say, like your tried and true product that most people like associate Lalo with is like the high chair. So yep. what makes you guys stand out when you're sta- looking looking at six other different high chair brands? Yeah. So I think, it, you know, there's, you know, when we think about product design and innovation and how we can create a better product, um, a lot of what we do is we don't look for crazy innovation. We're not looking to add, you know, you know, make that a smart high chair or any technology into it, but we're looking for simple innovations and um, simple ways to improve the product and the experience as well, the experience around the product too. So the first thing we noticed with the high chair was how people were selling it was that there were all these parts you had to buy and especially some of the top you know, sellers on the market, you had to buy the base of the seat and then you had to buy a cushion and then you had to buy a tray. And like, as a parent that's never been through it, you're like, do I need this? Do I need that? Do I need to add this other accessory? And then before you know it, you've spent $500. So we wanted to create really, really simple buying experience around it. Um, and then, you know, moving on to the product, I think objectively, it's a beautiful product that takes into account the parent's sensibility for design and furniture design, but also takes into the developmental needs of the child and how it supports them from the earliest days. And then also, you know, beyond their high chair days. So, you know, what launched as a two in one product is now a three in one product. So one chair, one base seat that can become both a high chair uh, booster seat and now a play chair all in one. So we deliver a lot more value in that single purchase. So, you know, if you look at even if you break it down to how much you're paying for, um, you know, per day for buying our product, it's less than 10 cents. You could look at some cheaper products on the market, some mass market brands that may have a cheaper high chair, but you can only use it for that period of time as a high chair. And you're spending about 30 cents a day uh, over the lifespan of that product. When you guys launched the business and you were thinking about like, do you go into retail stores or do you strictly strictly stay D to C? Kind of like walk through that process and like how you got your name out into the universe. Yeah, I can I'll start the answer and Michael could definitely hop in. I think the thing that drove the business from the earliest days was how do you create validation trust when you have none? And in a category that is predicated on making sure the customer trusts the brand. They feel that their child is going to be safe in your product. And so, you know, our marketing team, like under really Michael's leadership and guys really got to work on creating a world in which people felt validated by, by the product for, for a multitude um, of reasons. And the, the retail piece, it was never it was never in the beginning like a stark of like we won't go into retail. It was really about driving home what Lalo could mean to a customer and what and what were the sales channels that were the best way to do it. And we felt our own brand storytelling was the best mechanism for that in the early days, especially. Yeah, yeah I mean for us, we you know, we knew D to C is important because you know, what I said before, we were trying to rethink the way the relationship worked between a parent and the brands that they buy for their child. So D to C was, it was critical. And we knew we would lose that if we went, you know, with a deep wholesale strategy out the gate. We also knew in-person was important. So we had our showroom in Soho right out of the gate just to come and see. It was mostly appointment-based. Uh, and then we also, you know, would host events there and classes there and things like that. And, you know, since we've opened our flagship store in NoHo, which is the next iteration of that on a much larger scale, um, we've brought in a lot of partner product as well in that experience. So even if you're not there to buy Lalo product because you're there for a class and you your kid has aged out of some product, there's things that you might be able to buy and it's all curated by us, you know, brands and products that we love um, and just building that experience. But also we knew we need to get where our customer was. Um, so registry is a huge, a huge piece in the baby industry. And we have a you know really deep partnership with Babylist to make sure that we could be on as many registries as possible too, and become one of the, the top gifts um, that parents receive. So 
you know, that, that strategy has remained pretty true in just how we you know think about changing the experience and what you shop for. And a lot of that gets solved by the amount of products we bring to market too. Definitely. Have there been any brands in the past that you looked to or even looked to at that moment in time or now that were DTC that you were like, oh, wow, they're doing a really good job, whether like not necessarily within like the baby child family space, but you're like, wow, they really succeeded. Like, I think we should do something similar or like use them as our, you know, goal of sorts. Oh, yeah. Um, this might sound crazy, but I, I always look at Nike. Always. And especially over the last few years, how they've reined in their D2C strategy and moved away from wholesale quite a bit. I think they, you know, they're obviously a very true lifestyle brand and what they stand for and how they support. They've got, you know, great service and, you know, great affinity to the brand. Um, they create a really solid buying experience. They, you know, create moments and um, all the time that their, their, their loyals can, can rally around. But there, you know, there, there certainly have been other D2C brands too that, that have totally. traditional D2C brands that we look to as well. And what about right now with like running? So you're five years into the business, three years of having the company, having products out in the universe. Yep. What are the biggest challenges that you see running a business that like you didn't foresee when you were getting yourselves involved in starting a company? The big, I mean, the biggest challenge is running a business that we didn't foresee. I mean, everything, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you know, neither Michael and I initially, we had ever built a physical good. We, you know, we're, we were learning a bit on the fly. And I, I've like argue every single day, we obviously have surrounded us and surrounded ourselves between our team, our advisors, with incredible people who know exactly what they're doing. Um, but we're, I would say like, we're still learning every day. Um, if it's new products we're making, how to make them the best way to make them, um, looking into new materials to be used. Um, there's always something new and something different that can be done. And I think, you know, I decided, I don't know if it's a challenge, but educating ourselves on those are mission critical to obviously the continued growth, um, of the brand. Yeah. I, I think that there's, um, you know, being an entrepreneur and starting a company that there's, there's always going to be stuff you don't know going into it. It's how fast you get up the learning curve that makes you successful. I think that, you know, we've been extremely flexible, flexible and versatile in, in that and being able to climb up those learning curves fast. I mean, manufacturing in and of itself is a language you have to learn. It's not just a process. Uh, and being able to speak the language so you can sit at a table and be able to work with efficiency and speed, to be able to negotiate, to be able to spot you know um, problem areas. But there was we also entered the market a year before a global pandemic hit, which is looking back is crazy. Our business was nowhere near mature at that time, and a global pandemic. And we've been in market for twelve months. We had been in market 12 months. We were just learning about the world of freight and what it means to bring goods into this country. And then all of a sudden, the price of a container goes from 4000 to 25000 And we have to learn how to navigate that. And what does that mean? And, you know, and that made it really hard to, for most D2C businesses to exist okay. at that time. Yeah. So, and, and to that point, just like backing up before you guys launched Lalo, um, what kind of careers were you guys both uh, working in? Uh, I mean, Michael and I worked together, um, at a company called way up, uh, which was like an HR tech platform that was helping, uh, companies hire, uh, students for internships and entry level jobs. I was their fourth employee brought on as the head of sales. Michael was the fifth employee brought on to run brand marketing. And that that's where we met. And you know, obviously have had some, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors prior to that. After way up, I went to Artsy as their VP of partnerships. Um, and then we linked up. So you've always sort of been in that like startup mentality though, where you've kind of like had to roll up your sleeves and kind of just figure stuff out along the way. Yeah. I mean, Greg spent most of his career in the world, in the tech world. And, um, my, my career is kind of, I started my first company in college, managing musicians and producing events, and then entered the crazy world of sports and entertainment as an agent, and then started my first company, which was a fitness platform, fitness tech platform, and then, you know, worked with Greg. So 
you know, entrepreneurship is in both our bloods in different ways. And, you know, and we both have uh, complementary and differing skill sets um, that allow us to, to thrive as partners. Yeah. And then you mentioned COVID. I think like for me, being a parent, that was the first time that I actually spent like long periods of time with, with our son, Ezra, because I was always working like Monday through Friday and barely saw him. So I'd see him on the weekends. But I think it really changed my way of thinking as like a parent of like being around them so much. So just curious how the pandemic and like parents have sort of changed the way that you guys view your company and like what they need products for like in their home. Well, I'd say the pandemic for us in many ways was an accelerant. Uh, a lot of shopping in this category, you know, it was shifting online, but I hadn't seen kind of the meteoric shift that other categories had. And so COVID really put us, you know, the brain who was born digitally to be at the forefront of that accelerant. So it was hugely helpful for us. And I think at that time, all we had was the high chair and the stroller. And it became abundantly clear that there was a shift to people. And I think through design, their firms, people became much more focused on the company, much more focused on their homes and what it looked like and it felt like. And how do I live with these different baby products on a day-to-day basis? And so it gave us a lot more confidence to double down on how is Lalo building products for the home and bringing kind of that ethos that we brought to the high chair to more rooms within the home over time. Um, so yeah. And then maybe just walk us through like the rest of your product lineup as it is today and sort of what you guys are foreseeing for the future. You know, our, as Rachel mentioned before, our high chair has really become a product that we've been known for um, and have gained a ton of market share really quickly on. So, you know, we, we knew that we wanted to own mealtime. So, you know, in 21, we launched our first bites kits, uh, first bites tableware, which is a line of uh, silicone suction bowls and plates and training cups and training spoons and a silicone bib, all dishwasher safe, all, you know, great for mealtime. But we've also now just expanded that to our big bites kit. So those who graduate out of their first bites and now are learning, you know, more into self-feeding with their own fork and sitting at the table, like a big boy and girl, uh, can, can be right there sitting in their booster, their high chair, pulled up to the table with a placemat and non-suction bowls and plates and cups, um, that are still silicone, still completely non-toxic, but unlike other silicone tableware on the market, it has a rigid core. So it feels more like a sturdy tableware set than an adult uses, but still gives the benefits of not, you know, not breaking and, um, being able to be thrown if it does and not worry too much. Uh, we also launched our splat mat for that mess, um, which is inevitable. Um, we also, you know, our high chair turns to a play chair. So we launched our play table and have our play kit, which has become really popular. And as we've continued to grow, we've now focused on these different rooms. So we're, we, you know, we just will have launched, you know, I think, uh, it's safe to say that bath has come out by the time you're listening to this. So our bath collection is something that we've been dreaming of and, you know, um, you know, bring some beauty to the bath time. Um, so, you know, we have a multi-stage tub that looks like a beautiful freestanding adult tub and then all the accessories you need for a great bath time from stacking cups, a spout cover, um, a rinse cup, a toy bin, and then hooded towels and washcloths that are super soft of the highest quality. Um, and we have a lot more coming just, you know, we want to, we want to be the go-to brand for families as they outfit their family home. Where do you guys get your product innovation ideas? Is it from like your everyday life being a parent? Do you listen to a lot of your customers and like what else they're looking for? Like I, I get a lot of feedback from my followers. I can't even imagine having like a product or a business, how much feedback you probably get from customers, and like what they want more of or what they don't like, what they do like, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it's primarily from our customers and thinking about, you know, of course, what kind of fits in with the Lalo ethos and what can Lalo improve and bring, um, you know, our, our kind of style to. And it's been hugely helpful. I mean, one of our best-selling color high chairs, our sage color high chair, directly came just from a poll we put up on Instagram. Like, we had been thinking about the color, but literally, it was just like a bunch of taps saying, sage is the next color. And that was the color we made. And boom, it's our you know, second best-selling color. 
so even like little wins like that come from our customers and it's uh, amazing to have that type of support and feedback. And we have like a, a, pro, a product fam council that we reach out to about every six months asking them what products have they got and what products would they like to see us make. And that is uh, hugely impactful into the roadmap. Yeah, this customer council, we, we open up applications every six months. So we, we send out an email to our, to our customer base saying, do you, you want to apply? Every time we get about a thousand applications of which we choose 15 people to join and it's made up of predominantly parents, but there are some grandparents on that council as well. Um, the most opinionated people in the room. Oh, they're the best. They are absolutely <laughs> yeah. the best. And they want to buy everything for their grandkids. So, um, you know, they, they are just invaluable there. But now that, that group is, I think, about 50 folks. Um, and about every week, they're getting a survey or you know, getting insight and access to things that we're working on and providing direct feedback. But in that survey, in that application, the last question is, what do you want to see Lalo make? And the last time we did it, over 95 different products were suggested. 95. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Individual products. Are they, are they just saying like, we have this product and it's not good. So we want you to make it. Or are they like thinking of like, there's, things some, that aren't even on the market? there's some of it to be honest, like, but it's more of, like a lot of it's, yeah, we think ahead, Lalo go. could do it better. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, we feel, we feel honored that our customers like want us to be in their lives more. And we feel like we've, we've earned that. Right. Like we didn't get that out of the gate. You know, we didn't, drop a hundred products all at once because we thought people wanted it. We wanted to create a brand that really resonated with people and that's really paid off and we've earned the right now to bring them more products. Well, I think that's something that some brands don't necessarily do that well is that they get so excited with so many different ideas and so many innovations. I'm like, oh, we want to launch this and we want this. And I think that you guys do a really like classy job rolling out new products like while you your wheels are probably always spinning and turning with like what's coming out next but from to your point like you like perfected the high chair then you re-perfected the high chair and like even made more enhancements listening to consumer feedback and then you wouldn't worry about launching a dozen other things simultaneously and i think that because consumers see that they know that you're building like or producing like the top-notch products for parents and guardians to have everywhere um can we talk about the play kitchen yeah. What do you want to know? I want what do you want to know? It should be in your house by the time this is aired. I will come and, and yeah. build it for you. I barely have a handyman named Michael coming to build and build yeah. this play kitchen. I was cracking up because like I'm usually in charge of all the building stuff, but I'm like, if someone wants to come build this thing, I'm more than happy to have someone. I just do buy it. everything yeah. and then he does everything. <laughs> yeah. So play kitchen, you know, talking about that council, I think the play kitchen was probably ranked no, about number four in requested items on that list. Um, re- came up a ton. There's a lot of, on the market, there's a lot of um, plastic options and cheap options and ugly options. And we wanted to bring the beauty that we've brought to the playroom with our play kit with a play kitchen and expand into pretend play, but also be there as the child ages, right? Like a play kitchen is sometimes bought as early as one year old, but you know, more, more often than not two years and up and kids can play with it for years. And the idea of pretend play is such a magical thing of toddlerhood and and childhood. And we wanted to bring that to life. So we created a great, um, all wood play kitchen in the same white and wood aesthetic of our other products it comes with accessories like, you know, pots and pans and uh, salt and pepper shakers and things like that. And spatula. Yeah, a nice little spatula. So, you know, makes eggs for us at your wooden plate kitchen, a great little farm style sink. And um, yeah, we're, we're super excited. It's limited edition for this holiday season. Um, so, oh, cool. so okay. it, yeah, it may live, you know, if we see that people love it this year, we may bring it back in, in, be an evergreen product in our collection, but we have no doubt that this is going to sell out. It's also reasonably priced. We, you know, in looking at the market, there are so many plate kitchens at five hundred and six hundred dollars, and we thought that is crazy. So, you know, this product is priced at three ninety five. Um, you know, it's still made of top quality materials. We tried to make it also easier to assemble, um, but that's really hard in plate kitchens because there has to be a lot of parts in the way that it's engineered. So we decided to make the experience of building it even easier. So, you know, Greg and I filmed a great how-to video on how to put it together. We did little things like instead of getting a box filled with random screws and 
McDowell's and like everybody who's built Ikea furniture before. And then you got to, do I need this screw or this screw for, for, uh, for this step? We grouped all of the hardware step-by-step. So you just go into a box and you're like, Oh, here's the step one hardware. Here's the step two hardware just to make, to save a little bit of time for, for parents and putting it together. Yeah, I like that. It's that's also helpful because I always try to involve our oldest son Ezra in like whenever I like put like smaller things together, nothing that's too complicated, and he loves it. But the hardest part is like he likes to take all the screws and all the things out because it's usually all combined. <laughs> and then by the time I'm like halfway done, I'm like, dude, where like where did you put? Where's all the stuff? <laughs> yeah, we get that. So we got, I'm having we... to like kick him out, so I feel bad, but. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the world of the world of compliance is another, you know, thing that we've had to sunk our teeth into to make sure where we don't cut any corners and we make the safest, safest things possible. But for that reason, exactly, Jordan, we have to like put across our products like this, you know, adult assembly required because they're small parts and things like that. Right. Because we know Ezra and other kids are going to try to get at these small parts, but it's been really fascinating to, to, basically, you know, to become product developers in, in this, in this life leading Lala. Do you have like a head of operations or like someone who really helps you look at things from an operational perspective? We, we do. Um, so when, when, when you say, are you, do you, are you talking about like, like how a, do we get in here into the customer or like a product development? Like which, which piece? Well, I think more of like, I, and it, tell me if this doesn't make sense because my pregnancy brain is, is real. But like, I have a really good idea sometimes and I have no idea how to execute it. So say you had this grand idea for a play kitchen, like who's the first person you called? Like who the, how the heck do we make this happen? Or like, do you guys sit there and try and like put the yeah. puzzle pieces together? No, that's... Yeah. So I think the first thing we do is we survey the market a little bit to understand. So that's number one. We have to do research. And then we do have folks on our team. Um, we have a VP of product and merchandising who's responsible for that and helping us understand okay. what the market is. Um, and then there's people around her that help us figure out who are the right, what are the best factories that make these things, right? You can't just go to some random workshop on the corner and do this. It has to be someone that understands building children's products and toys and using non-toxic materials. I mean, we test every product to be, you know, completely phthalate free, formaldehyde free. There are some factories that just don't even care what materials they're putting in. They just got to make something. So we have, we, I think it's like a 75 page manual that every vendor gets from us that lays out every single one of our requirements in, in making a product. And we have great experts that have helped us build those requirements. So when we bring on a vendor, they know the standards that we hold them to. Um, but we've, we've surrounded ourselves with some you know great people that have been in the industry for, for a long time. It's interesting because it, you know, from coming from like the food and beverage space, there's so much around like clean ingredients, clean this, but I feel like in these other markets, it's probably a little bit more of a wild, wild west. Whereas are Definitely. there, like, are there like initiatives or groups that kind of give out awards or certifications for products like yours? Yeah. So the CPSC, um, oversees juvenile products and the standards that go against juvenile products and toys. And there's different standards against that, um, called ASTM standards. Not every product has ASTM standards. Um, but many do, especially, you know, larger juvenile products like, um, like a high chair, um, or cribs and things like that, right? There, there are you know pretty rigorous standards that you have to test to. They have, they lay out all of the testing requirements. So you know, for example, we get people that are like, "Oh, I'm I'm having difficulty taking off the tray on your high chair, even after we've improved it." And most of that is because there's a safety standard. It has to stay on with a certain amount of force applied in all these different directions. So there are just things that we have to account for that maybe the customer doesn't fully understand either, but also may impact usability too, because it's for the safety of the child. Safety. Yep. Hmm. It's like the, it's like the car seat is like the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. And now we're trying to teach, we're trying to teach Ezra how to, buckle it himself because we're gonna have three kids soon or like one of them's gotta never leaving the house one of them's gotta like you know do it them, do them <laughs> themselves and I, i'm sure it's done on purpose but like he physically cannot yeah so even there, buckle yeah 100 there's a there's a force test you have to apply it has to pass a certain number of newtons of force that 
have to be applied before it can open. And it's an, an amount of force that really only an adult or a large child can do. Hmm. Interesting. So basically we're screwed. Ezra better hit the gym. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like it is a beast. He already is a beast. Like, I don't know. You're like <laughs> Jordan felt his back the other day. Well, he's like, he's like really into like tackling me. So like, he'll like run into me and like, I'm like, starting to hurt. I'm like, Rachel, like his back muscles, I feel like, like his back width is like getting blusher than hers. And I'm just like cracking up. He's not even sure. He's going to be a big dude. He is a big dude. He's a, he's a linebacker, as we say. Um, I'd love to transition a bit to talk more about like, I don't exactly believe in work-life balance, but you know, how do you juggle the entrepreneurial job and be a parent now, both of you to two children, be a husband, a son, a friend. What is that like? Like commiserate yeah. with us. It's really, it's obviously incredibly challenging. Um, I think we're, we're both fortunate not to speak for Michael, but I know he would feel this way too. Like obviously having a really strong partner has been super helpful for us as we've gone, gone through this. But it's it's never it's never easy. I mean, especially as a founder, the compartmentalization or the attempt to compartmentalize the job from when you're with your kid at six o'clock is sometimes hard. Um, I can say for myself, like I I remember being at my job, like my job, my you know generally nine to five before I had kids, and I remember parents leaving for like this sacred thing called bath time. And I was like, they're leaving at five o'clock every day. I'm sitting here at six. Obviously, I have kids. And not that I like frowned down upon. I just like didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. Now I know what's going on. And it's an absolute crazy place. The cool thing about it is though, it's actually you at least for me, I have to separate myself from work in those moments. Like it's the only time I'm 100 percent focused on like the mission of how do I get this kid to bed? <laughs> calmly and nicely and in the best way possible. But like, it's a really special thing in that like, you have to stop. You like, don't have a choice. Um, especially with two kids now where you just, there's never enough hands, so to speak. So, um, it's really hard, but I think, you know, having a partner and then also just making sure you're taking the time to your best, your ability to take some level of time away. Um, I just actually thought of this because when you mentioned that, because something that Rachel has like had us do and I and I value a lot now is like at six o'clock, we put our phones away and like you never follow that. No, no, but I do. Like, even though it's like there, <laughs> it's I, I'm getting better, whatever. So like put it away and like just focus solely on like us and the kids. Whereas like you all of your products have always been like something very far from technology. Is that something you guys have like done purposefully or um, is it just so happened to be like a product lineup that you guys have put out? I think it's, uh, it's somewhat intentional. Interesting maybe, question. But, yeah. Maybe, but maybe not completely. Um, the intentionality think, is know, knowing our core strength and what we do best. Yeah. Uh, I'd say the lack of technology in our products is very intentional. It being further away from other pieces of technology, maybe a little bit less intentional. I think one of the the secrets to some of the, the virality around our products too is that um, a lot of our products are and the pro, you know between the high chair and bath and things like that they're they and our play gym even it, they're moments where you are dedicated to giving your child attention. Yeah, so you're, you are, and ideally you're interacting with those things um, either during a critical moment like bath time or during multiple moments throughout the day. So it's not, it's not just a, a fly by night baby product yeah. that you used once to make sure your kid wouldn't cry. It's, it's there throughout your day all the time. You transitioned too quickly. I saw a lot of more questions. Sorry. Work life balance. Do you have <laughs> tips for anyone on like, so do, to George's point, I guess before, do you leave your phone in another room during that bath time or during that family time? Do you try to separate yourself? Like what tips do you have for parents that work to like be fully present with their kids when they're with their kids? I think anybody that says they're hundred percent put the phone away is either mm-hmm. some sort of saint or some sort of liar. Um, and um, I find it really hard. I mean, it's, it's something I have to constantly remind myself. I don't know about Greg. Yeah. You feel the same way. 
Yeah, I wish I had like a silver bullet of this is how you get yourself out of that place. You know, it's like, it's hard. You guys too, I'm sure. It's like you're literally working up until like that exact moment or, or your mind has been occupied by something. And so to transition over to something is sometimes hard. I mean, my kid crying and screaming and having to like figure it out helps me sometimes. Um, but it's, 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 it's really hard. I, I think the technology piece is less for me about it. It's, or it's like less helpful for me. It's more like, how can I come to support the kids at like at that point? It actually, it really helps. And I will say like, even like going on like a vacation is really hard to take yourself out. Like, mm-hmm. so a friend of mine was just away on his honeymoon and he said this thing, he was gone for a very long time. So he was very long. He was gone for three weeks, but he's like, it literally took me a week and a half to not to like really feel hundred percent relaxed. Like it took that much time away from not thinking about it or being forced to not think about it. And like from like the reality to actually not think about it. So I think to Michael's point, to fully take yourself out is, especially as a founder, is it's just so incredibly difficult. I think I think also like perfection is is almost impossible. And like coming to terms with like perfection not being the goal is okay. Like, you know, and and sometimes it's just about surviving the moment. Like you don't have to thrive in that moment. You just need to get through it. I like that. Um maybe a little bit like startup life. But um, sometimes you just you just need to get to bedtime, like Greg said before, and get the next day or get that glass of wine. Yeah, I feel like now we're in such a routine where like our nanny leaves at six. We sit down with our kids. They like either finish their dinner, have their dessert, whatever. And then we put them now at the same time in the same room at 730. So like both of our boys mm. share a room. And then he like does whatever he has to do. And then I sit on the couch from like eight to 10 and work again. And I'm like, this is like not sustainable in the past before mm-hmm. having kids. I used to just work until like eight stop and then be able to watch like two hours of TV and then go to bed. But now it's like there, we're trying to build more practices in our everyday. Like I would say like nightlife where even last thing was like last Thursday or Friday, Jordan's like, do you have things that like you have to do tonight after bedtime? Like I, I do. But like our my goal is always like on Fridays or Saturdays, obviously, because like no one wants to do anything on a Friday or Saturday night to be able to like shut off. So it's like I'd rather like do as much as I can Monday through Thursday and then Friday evening. We're not that religious, but I like want to start observing Shabbat a little bit more now that Ezra thinks that he is an actual rabbi going to a private Jewish school. He does the Shabbat prayer. He's a linebacker rabbi. He yeah. takes it very seriously. He has a hall every Friday. So to start instituting things like that. But I think it's something that like any working parent struggles with is like being able to shut off and be, be with your kids. I always joke that like you're either one day you're going to suck as a parent and you're going to feel like you didn't pay attention to your kids. And then the next day it's going to be the opposite where like you didn't do as much for work Mm -hmm. as you wanted to, but like you had an awesome day with your son or daughter or whatever. And so. Totally. Each day is different. What's your favorite product that you guys have created? And like, which one do you guys find you guys using the most with your kids? Ooh, that's a great question. Right? Because I know my answer. Okay. I will start uh, with Jordan. Why isn't Jordan answer first? Yeah, yeah, Jordan. Yeah, I want to hear your answer. The the mini table with the chairs. Uh Uh-huh. Because like in the morning, I, I give the kids breakfast. So like, I'll plop them down in the chair. I'll pull one of the chairs over like my butt just fits in it and like i get to hang out with him like on their level instead of being like you know doing things in like yep. a, on, on like an adult size piece of furniture yeah, yeah. Although, I, I, people always ask me how much weight does that hold and i just I say if your butt can fit you can sit <laughs> um, yeah and so i'm glad you can fit greg you have a favorite man right i'd say right now um, I think the big bites collection is like astounding. Um, a Jace has like gone through this phase where he doesn't want to use it. Like he thinks he's like, like a grown up, right? He doesn't want to use a high chair. He barely even wants to use a booster seat. He wants to sit in a regular seat. When I give him the divider plate, I think like he, our, our own, I think he like thinks it's like not old enough. And so like all these products that like give them like, oh, these are my older plates. Like these are all my things. Like he'll go out, he goes out now, like 
and say, mom, dad, dinner, and then like grab all of our placemats and his placemat and put it there. Like it's, and so that's been awesome. And I just think they're amazing, amazing, amazing products. And I love seeing the reaction that, you know, obviously we love all of our customers, new customers old, but people have had our high chair for so long who are continuing to come back because Lalo has that new thing. And it's been awesome to say. Does your son use the chopsticks? He does use the chopsticks. Um, it's it's definitely hard. You know, he, I think he's not that he's a, he's a little young. I mean, but um, he's he loves the fork. He's and honestly, the, yeah, the spoon spoon too. What about the cup? Because both of our kids are obsessed with the cup. The like cup. they won't even use the yes, shop, like the open mouth cup. cup. Yes, yeah. What? Oh, the sippy just, cup or the regular cup? No, no, like the regular open cup. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know if it's just them, but they have not really spilt it while drinking it, which I feel like Ezra used to like tilt, tilt cups so far back that it just like fall on its face. We'll take credit for it. I don't think it's yeah. anything about I'll give products. it to you. Yeah. I think it's just our kids taking their hydration very seriously. Yeah. I mean, they like yeah. switch. They're spin drift yeah. and yeah, they're, they're mm. obsessed. Yeah, I don't blame them. Spicy water? You call it spicy water? Uh, bubble water. Bubble water. So my favorite product, I mean, the high chair will always be... Um, yeah, the list for me. I was actually so going to say that, to you, Michael. I was going to say you can't say the high chair. But since I can't say the high chair, um, I I think that all of the all of the products are great. But looking at the, I think the chopsticks are really freaking cute, and there's there's a lot of benefit to them too. That um, you know, we built these training chopsticks to obviously have a connection so they can use it and learn the dexterity needed to use it. But we also added these little paddles at the bottom. So it's not, so there's more surface area for, for a child to grab food. Um, so there's a lot of fun, like fine motor skill development within it. But I think also if you have a picky eater, it can be helpful in making uh, mealtime fun. Um, it becomes like a toy. I also, I'm also a huge fan of the table and the coloring sheets. I think the coloring sheets, um, we've seen some of our customers coming back every other week or monthly and ordering new packs. And we've been coming out with new designs. We launched Safari and Dinosaurs later last, uh, late the summer. We have Halloween that, you know, just went out, was just finished uh, or is, you know, down to it's like last two packs. So go order by the time this airs, they'll be gone. And, uh, and we have our celebration, our December celebrations pack coming out, um, which celebrates, you know, the diverse set of, uh, December holidays. So there's a Christmas sheet and a Hanukkah and a Kwanzaa and a new year's and just like a winter solstice kind of moment. Um, so yeah, I think that those get, they're great for learning. I spoke to a customer the other day who's been ordering them almost weekly and, she was telling me about how she used our fruits and veggies to teach her daughter about different fruits and vegetables. And she, they were reading books on emotions. So then they ordered the emotions pack and started mimicking and drawing the different faces. And it's a, it's great as a learning moment. If you, you know, you want to be in it, it's great as a distraction and independent play moment. And it's also great as protection because they're perfectly sized to Jordan's favorite product, the table. Yeah. No, I, I find myself coloring and actually getting mad at my kids when they mess up my, <laughs> you're drawing yeah i'm like dude that was supposed to be red like what are you doing yeah. but uh it's um they both have a lot of fun with the, with, blue with the coloring things it's a blue duck yeah it's a blue duck yeah. what about I'll you share my favorite product yeah. oh yeah rach go ahead yeah i'm all about a good deal so that high chair is just it's a no brainer. It's a three for one. Like you get a high chair, you get a booster chair now, and then you get to convert it into the play table chair. Like, I think that that's like foolproof in terms of the reasoning of why you would want to buy it for like functionality, the best bang for your buck, but also just the most like aesthetically pleasing. And it's so easy to clean every, it's just like I spray my like all purpose Mm -hmm. spray and use a wet sponge or a cloth and like everything comes right off. And it looks like our chairs, we've had the same especially the two white chairs for years now. And our kids, like you have two boys, like they disrupt everything and they yep. just still look new. And I think yep. that that's like, so it, aesthetically it's pleasing to me. And then it's the best thing for your buff in terms of like buying something. To that Wait, point. Flip. Yeah. Sorry. Go for it. To that point though. Like if I think about all the things that we've bought for our children over the last four years, Lalo is the only thing that has not gone into storage Yeah, because we've been able to find a use for it. Um, like only the legs for the high chair go in the store. Yeah. 
Everything else is staying yeah. down. Um, can, I, can we flip the script? Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Sure. What what product do we not make that you want us to make? I think you already know because I want it to be a collaboration and I'm not going to stop until it is. I want a lunchbox. I need a customized, crafted, like bento lunchbox. Another like learning tower of sorts. A learning tower. Oh, there's like, there's like 600 names for learning tower. I'm glad I call it a learning tower. You call it. I've I call it a learning tower too. Toddler tower, want? toddler helper, kitchen helper. Oh no. Oh, there's a lot of names. They're really hard to clean. Really. I've had the same one since Ezra and mm. it's just disgusting. There's probably mold growing in it somewhere. They but. also mm, scratch our floor because it came with like a little felt tip and they all wore off. Mm-hmm. And like, Fell off. Yeah. Yeah. The kids cooking kit. I have a lot of ideas. Um, something that I would want is, I mean, as our kids are getting older, like something that more is like for playtime, like similar to like the kitchen, but maybe some, something different than that where, or only like one of those like Montessori learning, um, bin type of setups where they can like mm-hmm. play on it, but then also like store things in it. Mm-hmm. Because when we designed our playroom, like Rachel had to find, I, I take no credit for any of that, but like she had to like find like different storage units or bins that would like fit within the aesthetic, but also still be functional where they can use it to kind of, you know, use it as like a, like a table, but something to play on. I thought. Yeah. Like functional furniture. Awesome. Well, cool. we may or may not be making all of those things. So, um, <laughs> I'm going to slaughter you. You never know. We, we, I'm going to uh, slaughter you if you do a lunchbox that I'm not associated with. Like literally slaughter. I I'm coming to assemble your play kitchen. I don't care. I have Jordan. You can assemble anything. <laughs> yeah. And Ezra, I think more important. <laughs> Ezra and Jordan together. It's like a dynamic Jordan was duo. just saying that he's going to get knocked over by your child. Yeah. Child. You Tackled. Know, that? Tackled. Literally. Tackled. Yeah. Very, uh, very much so. Yeah. Well, Broad back. You got to watch out for that back. <laughs> Can you let the listeners know where they could hear more about Lalo and from the two of you, if applicable? And yeah. Sure. Uh, you can go to www.meetlalo.com. That's probably one of the best places to explore the assortment. Um, and also, if you are in New York, please uh, visit Lalo Land, which is at Zero Bond, which is the corner of Bond and Broadway. Yeah, so that's our flagship store. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Lalo. Follow us on TikTok at Lalo. At Lalo. Um, and you can follow Greg and I on Twitter. You tweet? Tweet, tweet. Greg's a big TikToker too. He's been doing that Beyonce dance a lot. Yeah. Have you guys seen that one? The, to her new song? That's Greg's move. But yeah, mostly just follow Lalo. Sign yeah. up for text messages. You'll get cool stuff. Good deals. Thank you guys so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys.